0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It is time to look back at the first week of the U.S. Open. It is late on a Monday night. Apologies for the people on the other side of the Prime Meridian. Um, I know that uh, this could be a Tuesday that you're going to watch this on, uh, but we had to wait for the fourth round to reach its conclusion. And I'll look back on each fourth round matchup in this one look ahead to the quarterfinal, maybe rework some predictions. I think that's in order, um, and I will hit your comments at the end of this video to uh, get a temperature on some of the, the major storylines that have come about over the first week of the U.S. Open. It's been a feisty tournament. I'd say an entertaining tournament, though. Lots of Lots of very interesting storylines. I want to start, before I I go through all these fourth-round matchups. I want to start with the one storyline that kind of looms large over the rest, and that is the world number one, the defending champion, and the number one seed, Novak Djokovic. He is out. Uh, Had to retire in the third set against Stan Wawrinka in their fourth-round match. Wawrinka was up two sets to love, um, and I want to kind of go over um, parts of that match. I'll say that that the tennis was pretty great for for most of the for the majority of the first two sets, and we'll get into you know the crowd's reception of Djokovic after he had to retire. Um, we'll get into that um, a little bit later because people commented about it, um, but until until then, I'm just going to hold off, and I do want to focus on the beginning of that match and what we saw. Um, and then and then kind of get more into to Djokovic's retirement. Because I think that there aren't a lot of players in the world that could have taken that first set off of Djokovic, the level he was playing. I don't think that many players could have come back from down a break in that second set at the level Djokovic was playing at. Not 100%, but still a pretty high level. Um, at in the at the beginning of the third set, things really dropped off. I think, especially mentally, and uh, injuries are demoralizing. Pain is demoralizing. It's not, you know, it's not. It it shouldn't be taken as an attack on Novak Djokovic. That part of the reason he retired was that he was down two sets to love. You know, it is it is hard to fight through pain when, when, you are, when, you're, when you're losing. And um, it's a lot easier to fight through pain when you're winning. And at the end of the day, someone at some point was going to be able to push Djokovic to the point where he could not move forward. At some point, the left shoulder was going to get in the way. And it was really just a matter of when. Djokovic had a, uh, a scan on the shoulder, and it showed no structural damage, and that's why he went ahead and played, but there are plenty of injuries that don't have structural damage that are A, very painful, and B, don't get any better. The most famous one is tennis elbow. If I'm not mistaken, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not Dr. Gross, but if you have a if you have an MRI on your elbow and you have tennis elbow, the MRI is going to come out negative. Your elbow looks fine, but it's not when, when you have tendinitis. It's painful and it doesn't get better. And um, Favrenka pushed, pushed Djokovic to a point where physically he was in a bad place. Tactically, he was in a bad place. Therefore, mentally, he was in a bad place um, and and it was it was the perfect storm to uh, To push Djokovic out, but Vavrinka um, is now three and one in his last four meetings against Djokovic in slams. It's a difficult matchup. Here is what I saw with the tennis. I think that it's worth giving Vavrinka some credit here. I think that it's worth. Um, it's worth going over the things that Vavrinka does that that bother Djokovic, because I don't believe Djokovic would have lost to all that many players. I think that with with uh, with a bum shoulder, he still would have beaten a lot of guys, but not Vavrinka. One thing Vavrinka did was he he beefed up. Um, he really brought the heat on serve, especially the first serve. And especially in the first set. And uh, he got a good amount of free points on Novak Djokovic. Djokovic is a guy who's used to winning the serve return battle. Because he has such an exceptional return. But Vavrinka was able to get some free points on the first serve. On the other end. It was the block return of Stan Vavrinka That was really giving Djokovic trouble. And what Vavrinka will do. Is he'll actually return... Pretty um, pretty tight on the baseline, but he'll block and retreat. Block deep and retreat. That's what he does with his court position. The, the conditions combined with, with maybe Djokovic lacking um, a little bit of power maybe on his backhand side, but I think the conditions were big here, and the way Vavrinka was moving and using his court position. Djokovic was having trouble doing damage off the first ball. There were a lot of first ball errors. So serve, Vavrinka block return, error from Djokovic off the ground right away. That happened a, a good amount. But in general, Vavrinka was just able to dig his teeth into a lot of rallies off of Djokovic's serve. And I think kind of the, the slower—and by the way, in terms of the court speed, I think it's playing pretty pretty medium. At night, I think it gets kind of slow. A little bit slow. But closer to medium, um, I don't think that it's I don't think that it's crazy slow. Still, I think Djokovic was having trouble doing damage off the first ball. So already, you know, you're getting or they're getting kind of into these neutral rallies very often off of the block return. And then I feel like Vavrinka was able to have a lot of success on defense and a lot of success from the back of the court and was able to. Djokovic wasn't able to get it out of Stan's strike zone in baseline rallies, and what you had was just a back and forth kind of slugfest. It felt like Jokovic was really getting reeled in to the kind of baseline rallies that Vavrinka wants to play, which is just these very linear power baseline rallies with with a lot of kind of steady kind of rhythm and um, not a lot of movement to be honest. And if anything, it was Vavrinka moving Djokovic, which is sometimes the case in this matchup. But it was it was Djokovic unable to get the ball out of Stan's strike zone. And Stan having a lot of success on defense, not because he's fast, but because he was able to give himself that extra time playing really deep in the court. Um, and the conditions were slow enough to give him that time. So I, I also thought that that Djokovic had a lot of trouble finishing points, finishing rallies, and that's where I feel like like the net game could have come into play a little bit more for Djokovic. Um, either that, or he had to try to bring Stan in. He tried drop shots, some 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 not not the best kind of. Shot selection on a lot of the drop shots. He's a little bit too in love with the backhand drop shot right now, in my opinion. Um, He tried drop shots, but it's got to be a little bit more than that. I would say, you know, a a little bit more short angle, sometimes taking pace off the ball, uh, getting it shorter in the court sometimes, um, which is not Djokovic's game. Taking some pace off, not Djokovic's game. It felt like he needed to do something different to bother Stan, who is in this incredible rhythm from the back of the court. And he's got more power than Djokovic. Um, he's got really off both wings. He can, he can hit bigger. So if they're going to get into this back-and-forth slugfest where variety isn't really coming into play, Wawrinka has a really good chance in that. And I just didn't feel I felt like Djokovic was maybe not fully focused and a little bit distracted by his injury because he didn't seem to be searching for answers. He seemed to be kind of doing the same things and trying to just fight through it, where he really did need to search for answers. I think he could have found answers. The way the way you know people can beat Vavrinka is Uh, if, if you play the short angles, you can bother his movement more. He wants to be deep in the court. If you can bring him in or if you can finish at the net, that's how, that's how to take advantage of, of the kind of court position that Vavrinka plays with. Um, you can, you can try to serve in volley. I don't really advise that for Djokovic. You know, some players can try to do that off of his block return. Uh, but, but there just, there had to be, there had to be something there and Djokovic, Unable to really make those adjustments. Very thirsty tonight. Um, no espresso. It's too late. But I still have my cup. Um, and for the the English viewers or, or, or whoever, you know, the, the EPL, the Premier League fans who are viewing this, I'm not actually a West Ham fan. I don't – but uh, I just like the colors. And when I was in, in England – when I was in London, I went to to see the, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth Park because I wanted to see where the Olympics – I think, was it, 2012, 2010, something like that. I think 2012. You know, I wanted to check check that out. It's beautiful. They've done a very nice job with that. So I just picked up the kit, but I do not support West Ham. I don't really support any soccer club, to be honest with you. Maybe Tottenham. I like them. Um... So that's what I'll say about Djokovic, and I'll get more into the crowd and all that um, when we get into the comment response. I'll also get into Vavrinka and his meeting, upcoming meeting with Medvedev, when I preview the uh, the quarterfinal. But let's take a look at these, these fourth-round matchups. Uh, and we will start... With the matches that took place on Sunday. Starting with Federer and David Goffin, Probably the most disappointing match of the weekend. I don't know if something was wrong with Goffin, But he seemed very unbothered. He seemed very content to go away quietly. And he's just too talented a player. For him to... To get rolled like that and not seem bothered by it. And that's what frustrated me about this match is that Gafan was making a lot of errors and you know he, he was spraying the ball and Federer started to really feel it and really toy with him. It it bothered me that Gafan just didn't look very frustrated. And and that's what I'll say about that match is, is Gafan didn't show up and he it, it's almost like he Came on the court without self belief, and he's selling himself short. If that's the case, because he is a, he's number fifteen in the world, or maybe he, he might not be fifteen in the world. He's the number fifteen seed, and he's such a talented player. He's selling himself short if he doesn't think that he can play Roger Federer uh, closer than he just did. Second match is Grigor Dimitrov against Alex Minaur, And that's a straight set win for Grigor Dimitrov, a rather impressive one. Didn't watch the match, but um, I, I heard that the unforced error count from Minaur was awfully high, uncharacteristically so. Dimitrov with his breakout tournament in 2019. Congratulations to, to Grigor. And there's more work to be done, of course. Um, it'll be Roger Federer next but so far so good this will really help his rankings points I believe he slipped to uh number 76 in the world something something pretty pretty ugly for uh, uh Demi's standards and he had a nice draw in this one um and he seems to be seems to be feeling pretty good right now Dominic Kepfer, uh, world number, I want to say 122. I know I'm just pulling these rankings out from from my mind. What what is wrong? What is wrong with me? No, number 118. Check that, 118. Uh, he took on Daniil Medvedev and pushed Medvedev to four sets. Won the first set, did Kepfer, but Medvedev prevailed. Kepfer is a lefty with a lot of power, especially on his two-handed backhand. Massive. Two-handed lefty backhand, flat, likes to hit it cross-court. And Medvedev, who's carrying a lot of injuries, uh, continues to gain energy from the New York crowd, who has been viciously booing him after he flipped them off in his previous match. Um, Yes, this is real life. You heard me correctly. More on that later. The final match of Sunday was Djokovic and Vovrenka. I just went over that in depth. It was 6-4, 7-5, and then 2-1 before Novak retired. Um, today, the first match to finish was Zverev and Schwarzman on Ash. And... This is one where where Zverev got roped into Schwarzman's game a lot. The double faults were a problem. He had over 15 double faults in this match. And Zverev was packing a bigger punch from the baseline, dominating court position, playing more on the rise. And Zverev was working very hard, not, not making that many errors, you know, grinding from the back. And... Ultimately, Schwartzman's gonna win that game. Schwartzman's got more quickness from the back of the court. He he defends a bit better than Zverev. Uh, he's able to finish. He was able to finish points better when Zverev dropped the ball short. Schwartzman was Schwartzman was able to jump on it. Zverev is just he has no midcourt game right now, no offense. And you combine that with uh, the troubles that he's having on the second serve, and Schwartzman was able to capitalize and come through. Second match, Rublev and Berrettini. It is Berrettini in straight sets, which was a surprising result to me. Not not shocking, but a bit surprising, mostly because it was in straight sets. Uh, no surprise if Berrettini won in a close match, uh, but Rublev, with the form that he's been in, wasn't expecting that. Didn't catch this one either, but Berrettini's crafty guy. He's got a really good backhand slice and a massive forehand that he, he likes to use the slice to, to set up, and he serves really big. And he's got a lot of touch, good drop shots. So, tricky guy who can, who can take the racket out of your hand. He can toy with you, but if you get Berrettini on the move, you, uh, you're going to have a lot of success. Gil Monfils taking on Pablo Andujar. A surprise fourth-round appearance for Pablo Anderhar. But Monfis uh, wiped the floor with him. 6-1, 6-2, 6-2. Much-needed result for Monfis because he went five sets in a great match against Denis Shapovalov in the round prior. So that that's a really good job by Monfils taking care of business. And he looks he looks fantastic. And then finally, Nadal and Chilich. I want to take a little bit longer um, on, on this match. What did I see out of, uh, out of Nadal? It was, uh, first of all, just a really interesting adjustment from Rafa in this match. In the second set, he was leaving way too many balls short in the court, and Chilich was teeing off. Chilich was hitting massive, pushing Nadal around the court, bullying him, especially on the second serve return. And Nadal, good problem-solving, recognized that himself, that, look, I'm returning the second serve from, from, you know, way back on the fence. And it's, it's landing short and he's killing me. So Nadal moves up um, and is able to take time away off of, you know, with his second serve return. And it was a night and day difference from Nadal. So a, a really good adjustment there. Again, sometimes it works for Nadal. To move back on the second serve when he's when he's actually hitting it with conviction, but he was he was way back and not hitting it very well. So he, to his credit, he moved up and started hitting it better. So a good job from Nadal there. He also found his forehand. I'd say in the fo- in the third set, first two sets it wasn't really there. Throughout the tournament, I don't think that his his forehand has been at one hundred percent. And then the other thing to watch is absorption of pace with Nadal, which got better and better. He really started to find his game. Third and fourth sets were excellent from Nadal. And it was the best match that I've seen Chilich play in quite a while. Um, And then the other thing is that Nadal is serving kind of like he served at Wimbledon, which is a pretty high serving level. Worth noting. He's in kind of the 117 to 120 range that I think is a really good range for Nadal to be, and his second serve is up near triple digits, which it, not you know, it, it's often not up that high. So Nadal is has continued his aggressive serving pattern. He just uh, he needs to find the conviction and the confidence on his forehand that hasn't been there for every match. It usually doesn't really you know he, he he'll usually be able to get away with it, but once he faces. Better competition where where he really does need to dictate. Uh, he needs to find that forehand, and he did against Chilich when he needed to in the third and the fourth set. There's your quarterfinal matchups. Pop them on the screen. Jose Morgado on Twitter. Why not? Um Vavrinka against Medvedev, Feder against Dimitrov, Monfis against Berrettini, Nadal versus Schwartzmann. Let's dig into these. Um the first one, Vavrinka and Medvedev. Um that's a that's a matchup I'm I'm really looking forward to, especially when they trade backhands. I'm wondering uh, who's gonna get the upper hand here couple things first of all medvedev is dealing with a lot of of injuries i mean he's dealing with the shoulder he's dealing um with um you know some uh, it's an upper i forget a uh, hip abductor hip abductor that's what it's called um so so medvedev's banged up he's banged up and he he played a lot of tennis in august and it seems to it seems that it's catching up with him and he seems to be saying that the crowd keeps kind of willing him on and urging him on. So that's one thing to look out for is that it's very possible we don't get a, uh, a Daniil Medvedev who's in 100% health. For uh, for Vavrinka, played a tremendous match against Djokovic. I would say that um, he should be able to generate a lot off of – you know Medvedev's balls, even though it stays low, especially on his backhand. And I actually think he'll trade his cross-court backhand quite well against Daniil, um, who plays with a lot of depth. Doesn't really bother Stan with the court position that Stan likes. You know, Stan likes time. He likes to to hang back seven feet behind the baseline and take big cuts at the ball. And if you hit with a lot of depth. Vavrinka doesn't really mind. It doesn't really bother. Doesn't really bother Stan with the strength he has from the back. I believe that Vavrinka and team are good matchups against guys like Medvedev and Djokovic, who who normally bother their opponents a lot with depth. But those those are two guys who have the kind of strength um, where they're they're able to overcome that quite nicely. By the way, Medvedev's hitting his forehand so much better than I think he was six months ago. And um, he's hitting his forehand so much better than I thought he was in in um, in twenty in 2018. And we'll see if it's just a phase. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe his forehand will go back to how it was before because his technique is still quite strange, uh, not very fluid, a little bit slappy on the slappy side, I want to say. But right now it's working really well. So I don't know if it's going to, if, if this is an improvement in his game or if, if it's just a, a phase, which we see from time to time. Some players just, they find a shot and it goes away. Um, that happens sometimes. But I don't think Vavrinka is going to be overly bothered by Medvedev's depth on his backhand, overly bothered by how low... Um, Medvedev shot stay because Vavrinka is able to generate so much RPM, especially on his backhand, but on his forehand too. Um, and I also feel like Vavrinka has the kind of shot tolerance where Medvedev's consistency might not bother Vavrinka very much. I think what mainly bothers Vavrinka is is when you can be um, very versatile offensively and uh, you you put Stan on the run and you make him uncomfortable. I mean. There, there are – Vavrinka. his defense can be okay, but his defense can also be pretty bad. Um, and if you can attack his second serve, that's also a good thing. Medvedev, a little bit iffy on that. Sometimes he's able to attack second serves, but oftentimes not. Um, and also, I think that similar to Djokovic, Medvedev isn't the kind of guy who – Will really do a lot of damage off of Vavrinka's block return. All this considered, I'm picking Vavrinka to move on um, back back in a major semifinal for Stan after the double knee surgery. How about that? That's what I think is going to happen, but we'll see. Fetter against Dimitrov. Um, I don't I don't have the head to head on hand. I'm actually going to look it up right now because I'm curious. Um, but I, I imagine it's not very good for Vavrinka. That's just a hunch I have. Um, the biggest difference between Federer and Vavrenka is the sharp decision making and the construction of rallies, construction of points. Federer, and this is where I feel like they're opposites, and this is where they were calling Dimitrov baby fed, and it, it wasn't really there because Federer is, um, he has an extremely sharp mind when it comes to constructing and building a point and Dimitrov a lot of the time doesn't really know what he wants to do with things, where he wants to go for, with the ball, what shot he wants to what shot he wants to tr- go for and and that's where that's that's a big difference between these two. And that's where I feel like Federer is going to be the the first you know is is going to be the aggressor in this matchup. And that's that's what I'd be concerned about for Dimitrov, especially backhand to backhand, Federer has the advantage there. He has it forehand and forehand as well. He's got a better serve. He returns better. 7-0, Federer against Dimitrov. See? Knew it. Dimitrov's never beaten Roger Federer. I'm picking Federer. Next one is Gail Monfils and, and Matteo Berrettini. This is tough because I, I, I haven't seen Berrettini that much in this tournament. I haven't seen Monfils as much as I'd like either. But um, I'm going to go with Monfils. Nothing tactically. Just feel like he's very much so ready, is Gail Monfils. And I'm not really sure about Matteo Berrettini in that respect. Uh, but I, I felt like he was ready post-Australian Open with the level that he has. And I'm just glad to see with the level that he had. And I'm glad to see he's found it again. The main thing with Monfils is he's punishing short balls. He's not letting his opponent get away with short balls. Therefore, he's saving energy. He's he's finishing points When he should be finishing points, he's not playing extra balls at the same time when he's pushed to to defensive positions, he's willing to play defense and not always counterattacking because he is sharper in his shot selection. He's wasting less energy. It's enabling him to play shorter matches. It's enabling him to be steadier throughout matches and not have kind of up down, up down with his energy levels. Monfils is in a really, really good place. So I'm picking him. Nadal and Schwartzmann. Schwartzmann, you know, this, this should be a this this should be a really fun match to watch. Um Schwartzman has given Nadal some tough matches. I think he's got a, a great high backhand, which helps against Nadal and his cross-court forehand. Um, ultimately, Nadal has has more firepower from the back. Uh, there will be a lot of neutral baseline rallies played in this, and Nadal's forehand should be the difference. He found it against Chilich. It should be the best shot on the court against Schwartzman. It's the shot that's gonna gonna you know cause the most damage. That includes. The Diego Schwartzman serve, obviously. It includes, you know, really anything that either of these opponents can can bring. It comes down to the Nadal forehand being the biggest weapon on the court. Because Schwartzman can do a lot with Nadal. He can move with Nadal. He can play long rallies with Nadal. He can't hit forehands with Nadal. So those are the quarterfinal picks. Um, I do believe we are going to get a Fedal final. I do believe that's in store for us. Um, so yeah. It's never happened at the U.S. Open. Maybe people will be mad at me if it doesn't happen for jinxing it. But that's only if you're superstitious. Let us not waste any time. Let us go to the comments. I've went quite long here which I'm a little bit concerned about. So let's go 10 minutes. Let's go to the 40 minute mark before we wrap it up. Um, Axiomatic Films asks, what do you make of the US Open crowd during the Novak match? Were they in their rights to boo him off the court and cheer during circumstances such as double faults or did they go too far? I didn't hear cheering during double faults, but I, I certainly heard the boos off the court. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um yeah, so no, um, I don't think they're in the right. For sure, they're not in the right. Um, but I, I would, I would refer people to what Novak Djokovic said after the match when he was asked about it, and Djokovic said, to his credit, he had some understanding that a lot of people in the crowd would not be aware of Djokovic's circumstance with his left shoulder, um, and. I understand why people were a little bit surprised in the crowd if they didn't understand the circumstance because of the level Djokovic was playing. It was a bit of a kind of shocking, kind of out of nowhere, Djokovic retired after losing the second set, that that maybe people wouldn't see coming if they weren't aware of the prior circumstances. So in that sense, you can be understanding of people in the crowd um that were surprised and disappointed uh i would never ever say it's okay to boo a player who's retired um unless it is very clear that they are that they don't care which is obviously uh not true in the case of novak djokovic he wants to be out there he wants to be healthy he wants to be playing but he couldn't do it um in general, um, would would they have booed Federer or Nadal? Probably not. Uh, it, it there is no denying that the New York crowd, uh, similar to the London crowd, has as a whole embraced Nadal and Federer, probably a little bit more than Djokovic. But I will say that Djokovic has won over the New York crowd before. I think he has. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm insane. But I feel like I'm horrible with dates. But I was it the 2013. Anyway, there have been there have been some U.S. Open finals, you know, where he's played Nadal, and I feel like the crowd's been 50 50. I would also rewind, and I would go to the you know an incredible some incredible points that they played in the first set where Djokovic got to a drop shot and and hit a hit a winner down the line after a crazy unbelievable point where I thought the crowd went berserk for Djokovic, you know, the New York crowd, it's going to be, it's going to be very up and down. Now I have a unique perspective on this, you know, as a New Yorker and as a New York sports fan, uh, I think, you know, I can tell you guys that it's, and this is true for all the Northeast of the United States. There's a different kind of pressure in culture that, you know, in, in sports where New Yorkers will often boo their own teams that they root for uh, when, when they're not happy. New Yorkers will boo anything. I mean, Philadelphia, for example, you know, Northeastern team, they booed Santa Claus once. They booed Santa Claus. Uh, it's the, the culture in the Northeast. It, it's very much with sports. It's, it's a little cutthroat. But it goes both ways. It's, I'd say it's – the U.S. Open is the most electric crowd. You know, I think a lot of players love playing in New York because of that. I think Nadal loves it. I think Del Potro loves it. Um, and even Medvedev said that. Medvedev loves it. He's getting booed. He loves it. You know, I think sometimes Djokovic has loved it. Um, I know Nadal. You know, I mean, Nadal has said he likes it. So it it goes both ways. Positive energy, negative energy. The common thread is there's a lot of energy, and um, you know they don't hold back. And are they are they polite? Are they respectful? No, that's not New York. It's just not New York. Nikhil Tanwar says, tough year for Djokovic on hardcourt so far. Only one final and six hardcourt tournaments played. Yes, very interesting. If Rafa wins U.S. Open, he will lead Djokovic by 2,000 points in the ATP race and certainly end year number one. What is uh? What is the reason for inconsistency of Djokovic this year? First of all, I apologize. On um, last Monday, I saw something on Twitter that I think I read incorrectly that that Djokovic had secured year-end number one um, wasn't true I apologize for that I, I hate it when I make mistakes like that um, it is it is very much possible for Nadal to overtake Djokovic especially now because he he lost uh, his US Open title points what's happening on Djokovic on hard court? It's one I, I feel like the return isn't as invincible as um, as it's been I think with Medvedev He ran into someone who was kind of redlining. I think after the Australian Open, when he went to Miami and Indian Wells, I thought he was out of shape and looked like he hadn't trained. I think versus RBA in Doha. I mean, RBA played really, really well. Uh, It's a tough matchup for him, and he probably hadn't peaked yet. He wasn't, again, he wasn't in full um, fitness. Um, And then in this case, he got injured. So, you know, you can go match by match and, and there are reasons, and a lot of people in the comments who are upset and don't like to hear analysis, they like to say, that's an excuse. No, you know, when the best players, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, when they lose to, to players under them, guess what? There's usually, there's usually a reason. Usually a reason. Not an excuse. Usually a reason. Besides, saying that Djokovic is out of shape, that's not an excuse. That's his fault. lots of lots of emphasis on the majors for Djokovic. Stefano Desper- uh, Desperati my sensation is that Nadal is not at his best instead Federer is improving day after day and he'll be perfect for the final. what do you think about Nadal's game and physical condition do you think Nadal has more chances of beating Federer here on this surface since we are on a fast question mark court the result will be the same as um, the result will be the same as in 2017. Okay, um I I haven't been overly impressed by Nadal until the very end of that Chillich match. I, I don't think that he's really found it on his forehand. I think um his returns have been kind of shaky at times. At the same time, he's played perfectly well enough. He hadn't dropped a set until the Chillich match. I haven't been that impressed with Fetter either. Uh granted I missed the the Dan Evans match, but I don't think the fan gave him much of a test, so I couldn't tell much from that. And in his first two rounds, he he had shaky starts. So I don't think either has has really blown me away in the lead-up. And uh, I'm kind of going back and forth. The answer is I, I do think this is a better surface for Nadal than uh, than Australia. But I, I have trouble I'm, – I'm increasingly having trouble understanding what the best surface is when it comes to hardcore for Nadal. I know he wants the ball ball bouncing high. I know that. So I think he prefers the conditions in the daytime. The ball's a bit more lively, a bit bouncier. Um, But I don't really know if he would prefer it faster or slower. Believe me, it's more complicated than it would seem. You'd think Nadal, king of clay, he wants slow. But I don't know if it's like that for him on hard courts because he does not Defend as well on hard courts as he does on clay, not even close. Sunflowers of Inferno. Why are the Americans so disrespectful to Djokovic, and is it the situation among only the rich people who know nothing about tennis, or is it the general situation? Um. Well, I mean, one, I I think the the U.S. Open crowd is a little bit less rich than than a normal tennis crowd. I would say it's a little bit more, a little bit less rich. I'll just say that, but um. I th- I think that New Yorkers did not take kindly, or the New York crowd, did not take kindly to when Djokovic showed visible frustration that he was not being supported against Federer and Nadal, and I think that made it worse. I think it. I think Daniil Medvedev just did the same thing. Now Djokovic did not do anything as dumb as Medvedev did. I mean, Medvedev flipped off the crowd. He 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 gave him the bird. Um, Djokovic has never done anything like that, but Djokovic has looked. Uh, visibly frustrated with the New York crowd, um, at times especially against Federer. And I don't think that has served him well. At the same time, I just don't think that Djokovic has never gotten support in New York. I feel like there have been times where New Yorkers have embraced him. When he played tennis with John McEnroe after the match, I mean, there have been times where he's been on... The good side, and people have rooted for him. I mean, Vavrinka is a very popular player, who was playing some very inspiring tennis, and Djokovic. Djokovic could have won over that crowd, in my opinion. There was there was a chance, or at least a section of it, uh, but Vavrinka was playing the more inspiring, and uh, you know, he was playing the more inspiring tennis. Now, Djokovic. Um, no, there's definitely reason for, for frustration there um, where you know the crowd could, could certainly treat him better. And he didn't deserve what he got when he got booed off the court. Um, I want to skip ahead. Last question to Mark Marini who asks, How do you feel about the Medvedev villain mentality that he has seemingly embraced? I definitely um, want to hit on this. Um, I love this. This is tremendous. More of this, please. Every good story has a villain. Every good story has drama. And guess what? This is going to make Medvedev bigger. This is going to be this is great for everyone. This is great for the fans. This is great for Medvedev because guess what? As long as they're watching, they're watching. And that that should be Medvedev's mentality. I think that is Medvedev's mentality. As long as they're energetic, they're giving him fuel. The crowd is giving him fuel. If Medvedev gets Arthur Ashe and fills the stadium with people who want him to lose, that's better than if no one cared about Daniil Medvedev, if nobody talked about Daniil Medvedev. Tennis players are personal brands. They make money on endorsements more than anything, more than prize money at the top of the game. They would be best served to support themselves by being real and showing their personality. And if that means kind of making uh, what you'd call in, in, in the fight game, a heel turn, even if you're being a villain, that's actually gonna make more people care about you. And every tennis player should want to be cared about. They win. They get more money. They get a bigger following. They get better courts. They sell more tickets. Now, not that they get the direct benefit of that, but believe me, they do. And, you know, at at the end of the day, and the fans win because it's engaging. I absolutely love what Medvedev is doing embracing, um, embracing, the, the situation that he's put himself in and, you know, taking, taking all that negative energy and using it in in, in his favor on the court. It's absolutely tremendous. What I love about Daniel Medvedev is he is 100, 110% authentic and real. I absolutely love that. And the more real we can get, the more we can learn these players' personalities. Titi Pass is good as good at it as well. In the next gen, um, the more we can, but he's very quirky. <laughs> but the more we can learn these players' personalities, the more people are going to care about these players. And we need people to care when Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic are gone. That's the show. Um, hopefully. Um, or definitely, much more content coming your way this week. Last week was was very busy, and I was just trying to watch as much as I can. Uh, but there will be, at the very least, semi-final previews, semi-final recaps, final previews, um, and final recap. That is the minimum. Please join me. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.